Today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com forward slash brain. And during checkout, make sure to use the promo code BRAIN. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired when people come up to you and say, Think positively! What? You have massive, depressive, chronic, terminal, unresolvable stress? <laughs> All you need to do is look at the good stuff in your life. Like, when you're scared to talk to people, just sell your diamond collection to a wealthy business person. That sure makes the conversation go easy. Or, when you're unhappy, just look at that perfect, wealthy, extremely attractive, physically and emotionally healthy model you married. Just ask them to take you on a trip around the world in their private jet. You'd say you'd rather go in their yacht? <laughs> More power to you, that's my preference too! My point is, think positively because of all the good things in your life and soon watch that stress melt away like a, a chocolate bar that you left in your pocket. If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then get ready to start creating the life you've always wanted now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, personal empowerment coach and host of this show, I think. <laughs> this is The Overwhelmed Brain, and this is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. And if you're here to learn more common sense tips to improve your life, well, I can help you with the improving your life part. <laughs> but you're on your own if you want common sense because this is one of the few places that doesn't repackage information that you already know and then sell it to you as if it were brand new. That's right, this is the place for uncommon sense and that's why it's going to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. All right, I want to talk about something that uh, I used to do religiously, and that is the silent treatment. <laughs> Let's experience that right now. Ready? Okay, we're back. <laughs> the silent treatment is, in, in the sense that I'm talking about, is when uh, maybe you're upset about something and you don't want to talk about it with someone in your life. So you stay silent. So you don't uh, communicate with them at all. You don't do anything that might incite communication. You just avoid them or avoid a topic. You just want to, I don't know, you feel like you own, you want to own your misery. I'm going to own this misery. And by doing that, I'm going to make you feel bad. <laughs> because what I'm going to do is mope around the house and make sure that you know that you caused this. You caused this misery in me. You caused me to feel this way. This is all your fault. Now, it's not always like that. I'm exaggerating completely here, but maybe not for some of you. For me, it was that way. <laughs> when I was silent with my especially intimate partners, um, or only with my intimate partners, I don't think I've ever done the silent treatment outside of an intimate relationship. And I think it's because we do that to people that we are used to, that we know well, that we feel the most safe with. Because imagine if you did 
the silent treatment to a judge in a courtroom. (laughs) That's probably not going to work out for you too well in most cases. But uh, this is how it's different. Is that you're not going to do the silent treatment to the cashier at a department store. Well, I'm mad and I'm going to make sure that you know I'm mad. I mean, it's rare that that will happen. But you'll do it in an intimate relationship. Why? I mean, if you do this. Some people don't do this. I did it. So I'm talking about it from my perspective and from uh, yours if you do this. But why don't you do this in a relationship outside of people that you know best? And the bigger question, why do we treat the people that we love and know the best, that we're the closest to, why do we treat them typically the worst? Why do we go out of our way to make sure that they know that they're causing us misery in some way? Or not go out of our way to make sure that they know, but hope that they get it in a subtle way, like through the silent treatment. Or uh, the second phase of the silent treatment, which is passive-aggressive behavior. You've heard me say this before, but I think it's a great example of passive-aggressive behavior is you smell something in the house and you're like, oh, what's that stink? I guess someone's not taking out the garbage. And (laughs) that is a passive-aggressive comment. It's made in hopes that the person will hear it and initiate some action in themselves to take care of what you're upset about. But what it tends to do is cause more misunderstandings and cause um, everyone in the house (laughs) to be a little upset because one person is upset and instead of conveying the upset in an upfront, direct way, they say it passively, hoping that the other people or person will pick up on it. And the silent treatment is like a deeper set of um, variables for that, the the body language, the... um, the silence, of course, and avoiding each other and, and maybe like in denial as well. Like your partner or someone will ask, what's wrong? And you'll be like, nothing, nothing's wrong. But you're silent. And they can tell, they can feel it. It's like a, an energy in the room. You walk in and it's like, oh my God, what, what are they upset about? Or maybe you know what they're upset about, but you are doing some reciprocal silence. <laughs> like, I know they're upset about what happened yesterday. But I'm also upset. And I know I'm right. And they know they're right. So we're both silent because we don't know what to do with it. So we don't talk about it. Now sometimes, you know, I'm not talking about the silent treatment that is, you know, self-reflection and self-processing. Because sometimes you can be so angry with each other that you go your separate ways and you just need to process it and cool down. That's not the kind of silent treatment I'm talking about. The kind of silent treatment that I'm referring to is the one where you're upset with someone, so you withdraw. Any emotion that you were giving toward them, giving to them, is now withdrawn and now you're holding it back in. Because giving it to them is like allowance or permission to receive their kindness, their generosity, their, lo- their love, anything like that. But by closing that off, I'm not going to take your kindness. I'm not going to take your support or your generosity or love. I'm going to shut that out because I'm upset and I, and I need to stay in my misery and make sure that you don't get your needs met by being kind or generous or whatever to me. I mean, I'm, I'm making sweeping assumptions here, but that's one example. 
So the idea behind uh, being silent is trying to send a message passively. It's trying to send a message to someone in your life in hopes that they'll get it and do or say something to, to get you back in a way. Like they'll come up to you and go, you know what? I said something to you and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I did that. Please forgive me. And then maybe you'll let your guard down a little bit and you'll go, well, you should be sorry. I'm so upset by what you said. And now you have an open line of communication. Or you might just say, thank you. Thank you for telling me that. And then go off and do some more processing and then come back and then you're connecting again. But if they don't ever do that because they either feel they're right or they don't even know what's wrong because you're in your own world with your own thoughts and your own interpretation of everything that happened. If they're out in their own world and you're not connecting or communicating, then they may never come to you and say or do anything, which leaves you in silence. And of course, you might add on top of that rejection, abandonment. I'm being silent. Why aren't you coming to me? Why don't you feel bad for me? Or why don't you want to make me happy? So now you're compounding how you already feel. And no matter what they say, if it's not, I'm sorry, <laughs> you're going to feel bad about it. You're going to feel you know, worse than you do now. So the silent treatment really is a self-defeating process of uh, just putting yourself down more and more. And it gets worse and worse the, the longer you stay this way. So the silent treatment is, you know, because it's a withdrawal of emotions typically, meaning you don't want to show any happiness or positivity towards the person that you might be upset with, it compounds negatively for you. It's self-perpetuating. But what do you do? I mean, how do you get out of silence? First and only step. <laughs> Are you ready for this? Be direct. That's it. It's so easy. And um, I did promise you an uncommon sense show. <laughs> but seriously, be direct. The hard part is saying what's on your mind because you're afraid of what will happen if you do that. So what do I mean by that? I used to give my wife the silent treatment when I was married. The silent treatment for me was because I was triggered by something she did or said. At the time, I was highly judgmental. So she had an eating challenge or disorder. And um, when she would eat a lot of junk food, I would get triggered because I was highly judgmental. I was judgmental about a lot of people for a lot of things. But because she, she was my wife and I felt safest with her being my nastiest self, <laughs> yes, that's what happens. The safer we feel with people, the nastier we think we can be with them. It's backwards. And it's something I had to learn to step out of myself because the people that we want to be with, we want them to be with us too. So why wouldn't we be the nicest we could possibly be? The most supportive. So that's what was happening here is that I was being nasty to her. And not um, in an outward way, but in a silent way, in a passive aggressive way. So I would see her eating junk food. And it would trigger me. And because I had been triggered so often and said so many things about it, I didn't know what else to say about it. So I went silent and I would withdraw my emotions and it would hurt her. She would ask me things like, where are you? 
And I'd be like, I'm here. I just, no, nothing's wrong. I just, I'm working on things. I would say things like that. So I look back at that and go, well, that's not helpful. Because the person who wants to connect with me, who wants to feel me, feel my emotions, know I'm there, bond with me. The, the, the one who's supposed to be the safest, most loving, most supportive person in your life has now disconnected from you. It's like the umbilical cord is cut. That hurts. That hurt, that hurt her. And I thought I was sending her a message like, your behavior makes me upset. I thought I was sending that message and that she would go, wow, so if my behavior makes him upset, maybe I should stop that behavior. Well, it always, almost always works in reverse. When you withdraw your emotions and be silent, what you're doing is helping them fall out of love with you or fall out of friendship with you or fall out of like with you, whoever this is in your life. You're helping to disintegrate the bond between you. That's what you're doing. The silent treatment is like an acid that disintegrates the, the tether between you and the other person. The trust starts to go. And it's not necessarily like, I trust you with my life savings. It's more like, I can trust my emotions with you because you don't withdraw. But if you withdraw and I'm in a vulnerable place and I'm sharing my emotions with you, but you're withdrawn, guess what? I can't trust you with my emotions anymore. And you know what the first thing to dissolve is? It's love. Love dissolves. A silent treatment, this is like a, a formula that I'm theorizing right now. <laughs> the silent treatment equals disintegration of love. So when you look in yourself, if you are this person who uh, gives your partner, your friend, your family the silent treatment, this helps disintegrate love. So how do you get out of it? How do you stop this? And I just said it. Direct communication is, you know, one of the ways, but it is a direct way. Because what's going to happen? Let's, let's look at this in um, a scenario. You get mad at something that someone says. So you withdraw your emotions. You don't want to show them that you're at all happy or validating what they did or accepting what they did. So you withdraw and now you're silent. Maybe you go a day. Maybe you go a week. I used to go for days. And then when I finally come back, I was back to normal and everything was great. But every time I came back, there was a little bit of love that got chipped away. So you're upset. You go silent. You might become passive aggressive. However, you do the silent treatment. And then you finally come back and everything seems normal again. But it's not. So what would be a better thing to do? What would be something that would encourage stronger bonding, strengthen your love? What would be a better solution instead of the silent treatment? Well, what is direct communication? Direct communication is saying, I feel statements. If you've been listening for years, <laughs> I'm a big fan of I feel statements. Even if you don't really feel, I mean, some people that I talk with, some of my clients, some of the listeners that have written to me, they don't feel all that much. They're more of a thinker than a feeler. But there is emotion in you. Even if you think you're Star Trek Vulcan, <laughs> there is emotion. You're not pure analytical. You can't be. 
It's just not the way the body and the brain works. You have emotion because you experience pain. Even if you only experience physical pain, it creates an emotional response. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, without emotion, you're probably not alive. So you do have it, even if you don't feel it. Even if you're uh, in a state of depression where it feels completely numb, and I've been there, I'm speaking from a place where I've been, if you feel completely numb, I guarantee you, you can still feel something sometime, even if that something is numbness. If you want to call numbness a feeling, but it is because it's kind of miserable. And that's a feeling. I feel miserable because I'm depressed. Or I wish I felt miserable. Well, that wish is a desire. Desire comes from an emotional uh, motivation of some sort because you want to feel better. I want to feel. There's something in you that wants to feel something. So anyway, neither here nor there. How are you direct? You say, I feel this when you do that. With my wife, I'd be like, I get angry when you eat junk food. And she might say something like, that's your problem. (laughs) And I can laugh at that now because I didn't get it then. But that is 100% true. Someone doing something that makes you angry is your problem in a way. I mean, in a lot of ways. Because if they're doing something that makes you angry, they can either stop on their own free will doing what makes you angry, or you can stop reacting to it, or you can stop complaining about it, or you can get out of the relationship because they'll never stop, or a number of things. You have so many options at your disposal, but you choose not to make those options an option. In other words, one of the ways I stopped judging my wife was accepting responsibility for what I wanted for me, for what I wanted in my life. If I want something for myself, is it up to someone else to change for me? Or is it up to me to change my situation to get what I want? Or change my mind? Or change my values or my criteria on what is good for me? The silent treatment for me was me not getting what I wanted So I would, what's that word, sulk. (laughs) I would sulk and I would mope around. And I did, I felt like a child. I mean, I look back at it now and I just like, I don't want to do anything. And I'm crossing my arms as I say this. I don't want to do anything because I didn't get what I want. So I don't want to do anything. Or I'm at the store and my mommy doesn't get me a candy bar. I don't want anything because I wanted that candy bar. But that's kind of what the silent treatment is. It's um, a regression back into childhood when you didn't know what to say. You had no choice but to listen to your parents or whoever was there and you just went silent. But we don't want to regress into that child state of not getting what we wanted. What would you do if you could act from an adult space? And I'm not saying that adults are better or kids are better or whatever. I'm saying that When we grow up, we learn to behave differently if we're learning and evolving and growing and healing. We learn to behave differently so that we can communicate more effectively, so that we don't get stuck in old patterns. Like, have you ever seen someone get into road rage and they have a childlike temper tantrum? 
That's an old pattern from childhood probably. But what would you do today if you let the adult step in and go, you know what? I'm going to take care of this in an adult way. What do I need to do? I'm the adult. I need to take care of business here. What do I need to do? I'm upset. I want to convey my upset. I am upset with you for what you did. That's direct. Now, you may have said that, like when I was married, I said that a hundred times. And so, she was getting sick of hearing it. I was getting sick of saying it. So, what did I do? I just withdrew. But why didn't I take the extra step and go, you know what? She's never going to change. I never came to an acceptance that she was never going to change. And even if that wasn't true, it didn't matter because I never accepted that she would never change. Because she could change tomorrow, it's correct. Or she could never change. But am I going to be the one that always gets upset about it, always gets triggered by it? Or am I going to do something for me? Am I going to reverse my attention and my focus, bring it back to me, and do something that I need to do for myself? And that's what I started doing uh, near the end of my marriage when it was too late (laughs) to save the marriage, but not too late for me. And that's one of the points that I want to make is that it's never too late to start doing this. Even if the relationship has ended or is on the outs, you start doing it for yourself. How can I take the focus off of someone else and bring it in on myself? And what do I need to do for me to get through this? Well, I'm upset about something they did. So I'm going to be silent. Well, that's not really healthy for me. So what else can I do? Well, I want to convey my upset to them. Great, because if you haven't done that, now's a good time to do it because the relationship's already dissolving. The love is already disintegrating. Get the word out. Say something in hopes that communication will start because what will happen is you say, well, look, you made me upset when you said this. And then they'll go, you're upset because I did this? And then there'll be maybe an argument (laughs) or something powerful and impactful and or there'll be communication in a way that is effective because silence is not effective in all circumstances, at least in the silent treatment. (laughs) But directness is. And, you know, sometimes we don't want to be direct because by being direct, we know that there are consequences. There are consequences to saying exactly what's on your mind. You might want to say, what you did hurt me. Or what you do often makes me feel this way. Makes me feel disrespected, unloved, rejected, abandoned. Uh, or makes me think that you don't love me. Makes me think that you don't even like me. You know, there's all kinds of things. We, we go silent sometimes because we don't want to get into these conversations. So we end up hurting ourselves even more because think about how long a conversation would last. Conversation could last anywhere from a minute to an hour to a day because you're going through all day back and forth. You don't know. It just seems to never end, but it does end. I mean, eventually it has to come to a place where you might agree to disagree, but at least you got it all out. Whereas the reverse, silent treatment, slowly and silently disintegrates the bond between the both of you. So what do you do? You come out with something direct. Getting over the fear of being direct is a whole other issue that I talk about on other shows. It's a matter of taking a leap of faith. Going, you know what? I'm going to say something. And you can even preface it with this. Before you even tell the person, you can say, I'm going to say something that is so hard for me to say because I'm afraid of what you're going to say. Because I'm afraid of what you're going to do if I say it. Or if you get upset, I'm afraid of you getting upset if I say what I'm going to say. 
but I have to say this because it's eating away at me. And here it is, you know, say your thing. And that's a leap of faith. It can be. If you've never done this, it's a leap of faith. But it has to happen. You have to take these leaps in order to get through this stuff in yourself. Otherwise, you disintegrate. You disintegrate the bond that you have. It dissolves love otherwise. The most common sense in the world I broke down. (laughs) Be direct. Be upfront. The cure for silent treatment is to not be silent and speak. Because, you know, when you withdraw your emotions, you're basically telling your partner or whoever, I don't trust you with my emotions. And because you're that way, they're going to also feel the same way. I don't trust you with my emotions. Because you're withdrawing, now I have to uh, stay at a distance as well. And in the moment, you feel like you are righteous, maybe, or that you, you feel like that you need to be this way. But what it ends up doing is harming more than helping. The silent treatment, <laughs> it can be effective in certain cases, like if you've never done it. But if you always do it, you're disintegrating something that might be very important to you. So take a leap. Take a leap of faith and be direct. You're not always going to get the answers you want. You might get into arguments. Someone might leave. Someone might leave the house. Someone might leave you. It might hurt. But I don't know what's worse. Someone leaving me hurts. It's like, what? What? You're, you're rejecting me? You're leaving me? No. They might. But if you're direct and they don't leave, then you strengthen what you have. If they do leave, then they may not be capable of handling truthful situations. And do you want to be in an untruthful relationship? Or a dishonest relationship. Not intentionally dishonest, but not able to convey what's really going on inside of you. You know what? Bottom line. Conveying what's really going on inside of you strengthens love and bonding. And being silent about what's really going on inside of you dissolves love and bonding. If you want to take anything away from this, (laughs) remove the common sense, just be direct, (laughs) and take that one statement with you. Maybe that will help you develop a philosophy, develop a bigger picture of who you need to be when it's time. I know you may have some fears about speaking what's on your mind. And you, like I always say, you pick your battles wisely and you're direct with people who aren't going to be violent, you know, with you. But remember, that adult is in you. You could step in and go, you know what, let me take care of this. You have it in you to not be silent. Don't be silent. (laughs) There's my take on the silent treatment. We'll be right back after this. I got to tell you, there's nothing I appreciate more than a company that stands behind their product 100% especially a product that in most cases you would not get the type of what's the word assuredness (laughs) from other companies in the same category all right what's the company i'm referring to well you've heard me mention them before it's casper they make a springy latex and supportive memory foam mattress that will probably make you late for work every day (laughs) i say that because there's nothing like sleeping so soundly that you simply don't want to leave your 
well, I guess you could call it your comfort zone. <laughs> hmm. I've always said, break through your comfort zone. But maybe once a day you can relax in an entirely different comfort zone. Casper designs mattresses with an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and bounce. And they bring it to you at a very affordable price, risk-free. Yes, if you're in the U.S. or Canada, you can try this mattress for 100 days risk-free. That means if you don't like it, they'll pick it up and give you a full refund. What? <laughs> well, that's what I'm talking about. A company that stands behind its product. That's like um, the pre-internet days, isn't it? When companies did that. <laughs> you just don't get that kind of secure feeling ordering anything nowadays. But Casper pulls it off. Time Magazine named their mattress as one of the best inventions of 2015, and it has won many awards. Now, I never knew there were awards for mattresses until Casper came along, so <laughs> so go ahead and find out what all the buzz is about yourself and visit casper.com forward slash brain. Order your obsessively engineered mattress today. Now, if you use the promo code BRAIN during checkout, well... Guess what? They'll give you $50 off your purchase. Not only do they stand behind their product, but they're willing to give a TOB listener like yourself a great discount too. Alright, are you thinking about what the best night's sleep possible might be like yet? Well, when you want that feeling all through your body, visit casper.com forward slash brain and order yours today. Remember, use the promo code BRAIN during checkout to get that $50 off. Free delivery in the U.S. and Canada. So enjoy your next good night's sleep on a Casper today. Welcome back. This is the Ask Paul segment. This is where I read a listener email on the air and I do my best to help answer a question or a challenge. I received an email a couple months back, and um, as you know, I don't get to my emails all the time right away, so sometimes they sit there with um, life passing us by, <laughs> which means that I may not be able to um, handle the challenge in the moment. For example, if somebody says, hey, you know, my um, husband's leaving for France tomorrow. What do I do with all these feelings that I'm getting? And, you know, I might read that message a couple months later where the husband's already come back from France <laughs> and they've gone through life changes and you know their job has changed and they've moved you know who knows uh, many times I cannot get to these messages you know this is why I have a backlog of all these episodes and you can look for a show that uh, covers what you're going through but you know there's always a unique question that I get that uh, I want to address and hopefully answer in time but it doesn't always happen in the time I want. So this is just um, an apology <laughs> for people that send me a letter and don't hear from me for a month or two. And then they have to figure this stuff out and hopefully uh, resolve what's going on in their life. And I'm not saying that I'm here resolving everyone's problems. I hope that this show helps. But sometimes having time to go through the motions and experience things is what's necessary for you to become more empowered, healed. Sometimes you have to go through the hard stuff so it'll be easier next time. 
And um, this show helps you go through the hard stuff, I hope. And, you know, that's what I'm here to do is just arm you for the challenges, give you some resources so that when those hard things come along, that you'll be able to handle the hard stuff. But sometimes you can't. Sometimes it feels impossible to handle the hard stuff. Even doing all this, you know, reflection and listening to shows and doing your own personal growth, sometimes it's just too hard. Sometimes you need someone to guide you through the challenge. Sometimes you just need help. And, you know, that's why I still continue to read these emails to help you, to help you get through this stuff. For example, this email I'm about to read. And this email is a two-parter because it actually has two different subject matters. And I've heavily condensed it. So let's get through part one. Are you ready? (laughs) Here it goes. Dear Paul, a few months ago, I finally decided to get out of two toxic relationships at the same time. A year and a half ago, I began dating a childhood friend whom I reconnected with. After we started dating, the first couple of months, everything was great. He's a very charming and good-looking guy. When we talked about our previous relationships, I didn't have much to say since I'd only been in one serious relationship. And boy, did I learn a lot, or so I thought. He told me that he had been engaged twice, but that things just didn't work out, admitting to his trouble with communicating and being non-confrontational. By the time three months had passed, we became official and everything was great, or so I thought. The messages throughout the day were always consistent. He talked about our future and how he wished he would have kept in touch with me since childhood. He pretty much put me on a pedestal, no joke. He wanted to move in together and I would always tell him that I wanted to wait because that was a mistake that I had made in my first two relationships and I didn't want to make the same mistake twice. He was okay with that, but he kept asking, but he did eventually let it go. So she writes a little bit more and I'm skipping some of this and getting to one of the main parts here, which is related to the first segment of this show. She writes, the first time I experienced the silent treatment was at about our fifth month in. We were supposed to go to Vegas, and two days before we left, he said he couldn't go. He said his brother has financial issues and he needed to lend him money. I said, that's okay, I'll take care of our expenses. But he said no, so I said to him, well, I still want to go because I've already committed and I'll just go on my own. So that Friday before my trip, we went on a date Everything was fine that evening. We had a great time. Then he texted me the next morning, uh, the day of my trip. But after that, I barely heard from him all day. And while I was in Vegas, Sunday came around and I, I didn't hear from him at all. No morning message, no response to my messages, or he never called. I didn't want to assume that he was upset, but I couldn't help to get upset myself, seeing how by this time it was two in the afternoon and still no sign of him. I got home around 5 p.m. that Sunday and made my way to his house. Little did I know that he was there with a friend watching the game. I asked him to come outside and speak to me. Not being too dramatic or anything, I asked why he ignored me and he just stared at me. He didn't say a word. And then he blurted, and now this is Paul talking. I'm going to exaggerate this purposefully, not to make fun of him, but to emphasize something a little later. So... She says, and then he blurted, and this is the part I'm going to exaggerate. I was mad because you left to Vegas, and I didn't know how to tell you. (laughs) Again, I read that in an exaggerated way, not to make fun, but I'll explain it in a minute. Little did I know that this was the beginning to unknown territory for me. 
This silent treatment became very consistent when I wanted to talk about things. He would shut down. It was like talking to a wall, literally. He would always say that I was the one who had the problem, not him. He would say things like, I don't have anything to say. I don't have an issue with you. But you always have to talk about something. I felt that he was upset about things, but he chose not to talk about them and would take his aggression out in other ways. This is when I learned the term passive-aggressive. It was like validation for everything I was experiencing. And I decided to call him out on it. To my surprise, he was surprised that I knew what he was doing. He said no one ever called him out on that. And even though it was hard for him to hear this, he knew I was right and he actually was sorry. I'm not the greatest communicator myself, but I tried as much as I could. I started doing my research on passive-aggressive behavior, and what I realized is that I too was a passive-aggressive person, mostly with my mom, but nonetheless, I also carried this behavior. That's when I came across your podcast. Originally, I wanted to understand why or how we become passive-aggressive people, and I even encouraged him to listen to your show, but it was no success. However, I was on a binge. It was amazing for me how easy it was for me to understand what you were talking about and how much repairing I had to do within myself. As I kept listening to you, I came across an episode that triggered something in me. That episode changed my life. Even though my mom and I had lived in the same household, we hardly ever spoke. I've learned not to share any of my experiences with her, good or bad, because they always seem to backfire. So I learned to shut down. Nothing I have ever done has been good enough. And even when I have had accomplishments, she turns things around and ruins these moments by making them about her. All right, I'm going to stop right there because part one of this letter is talking about uh, this boyfriend that she had. And um, it does go on to say that she ended up breaking up with him. But there's a few things I want to hit on in your letter. And I'm going to call you um, Sheila. So I'm not going to read the, the rest of your letter right now. But in the next segment, I'm going to really condense it and just talk about one of the questions that you have about your mom and about moving on and what your first steps are. But for this, for the ex-boyfriend that gave you the silent treatment and such, let me hit on a couple things. Let's uh, look at my notes here. One of the things that you said is that when you first met him, he told you that he had been engaged twice, but that things just didn't work out. He admitted to his trouble communicating and being non-confrontational. Now, part one of the Overwhelmed Brain (laughs) show today was the silent treatment. And I did get into um, how hard it can be to be direct. How hard it can be because it feels confrontational. So what does confrontational mean anyway? That means, um, in the context of this episode, we'll say, that when you share something someone will say or do something back to you that may be assertive or aggressive and you yourself don't want to deal with that. You don't want to deal with that type of confrontation. I can relate to this. In fact, probably 99.9% of people listening right now can relate to this. If I say or do something, what will that person do? How will they confront me? What this is, is your fear of what will happen when you honor yourself. I fear confrontation by doing X, Y, Z. So why I wanted to highlight it here is because 
when you go into a new relationship or even in your, in your existing relationships, if someone says they don't like being confrontational, that's almost like they're saying, I don't like telling you the whole truth. Now, I just want you to think about that for a moment. If you start a relationship with someone who doesn't like being confrontational, and if you transform that comment into, I don't like telling the whole truth, how does that change things for you? Now, I realize you might be this way. Anyone listening might be, I don't like being confrontational. I'd like you to change that. If you're the person who doesn't like confrontation, that is a loaded meaning. But let's change that. Let's define something new. First of all, say, I don't like telling the whole truth. That takes out the confrontational part. There's probably a reason you don't like telling the whole truth. But let's just say it that way. Instead of saying, I don't like confrontation. Let's just say, I don't like telling the whole truth. I want to change this vibe behind it. Whatever negativity that the word confrontation carries with it. Let's change that and just say, I don't like telling the whole truth. Now, that also has a negative vibe to it, but is not as powerful as confrontation. All right, so now we change it. I don't like telling the whole truth. Well, why not? Because I'm afraid of their reaction. I fear in some way their reaction. Or maybe it's not even fear. Maybe it's just I don't want to deal with their reaction. If I don't want to deal with their reaction, then I'm not going to be quote, confrontational myself. So I won't tell the whole truth. So what you're doing is choosing not to tell the whole truth so as not to incite a behavior from them. So the reason I brought this up is that when someone says they don't like confrontation, you have to make the assumption that they're not going to tell you the whole truth. Now, you don't have to think too hard about what that means for you. If you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't like confrontation, I'm not saying it's like this for everyone. I'm just saying that it has to have that similar meaning. And if it does have that similar meaning, then how can they tell you the whole truth? They're either not going to say anything at all, the silent treatment, or they're going to make something up, or they're going to do something else. There's going to be some sort of mechanism in place or some sort of strategy that they use so that they avoid confrontation. The problem when you avoid confrontation is that A, you never communicate what you really need or want, and B, you never give the other person a chance to respond to your authentic self. And what happens when you don't present your authentic self? They get to know the you that you present. If you are presenting a somewhat inauthentic you to people, then you're not going to develop real strong bonds. And in fact, you'll get worn out by being inauthentic more times than not. This is the problem though, is that non-confrontational behavior wears you down over time. It's not like a quick, painful thing. (laughs) It's like when you get smacked across the face. That's hard, fast, and done. It's done. Slapped across the face. Don't slap anybody across the face. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm just using that as an analogy. You get slapped across the face and it's it's done and over with. It stings. You might cry. Maybe not. But 
in some way, shape, or form, there's a little bit of pain there. But okay, the pain's there, and now you may have some emotional baggage from that, but it's quick, it's sharp, it's done. But with um, behavior like this, where you don't want the proverbial slap in the face, you choose to be non-confrontational, it prolongs that slap in the face over time, and you live with fear and anticipation of it, which to me is much worse. It just deteriorates you. Like I said in the last segment, it dissolves love. It dissolves uh, bonding. So choosing to be non-confrontational is like a slow emotional death. And I realize that there are times where you don't want to be confrontational. You hear me say it over and over again. Choose your battles wisely because you don't want to do it with violent people. You don't want to do it with people that are going to ruin your life completely. And there's many, many, many different situations where maybe being confrontational is not a good idea. But there's a lot of times where we think being confrontational is a bad idea when it's not necessarily true. Again, don't use the word confrontational. Use the words, I'm not saying the whole truth. If it's you, you don't like being confrontational, say, I don't like telling the whole truth. Okay, great. You don't like telling the whole truth because you fear someone else's reaction. So if you take confrontation out and you just say, I fear someone's reaction, then you can go, well, why do I fear their reaction? Well, because they might leave me, they might fire me, they might hurt me in some way. That happens. That's going to happen anyway. The more you hold back your authentic self and prolong that proverbial slap in the face, the buildup continues. You're either going to get burnt out or they're going to get fed up because they're dealing with someone who doesn't want to make waves, doesn't want to have the real talk, the authentic talk. And believe me, if you have two, (laughs) quote, non-confrontational people in a relationship, that is one of the hardest situations to deal with. I don't want to make waves. Well, me neither. (laughs) And I don't want to tell you what's really affecting me. Well, I don't want to tell you what's really affecting me either. They're so like three times removed from themselves And that's who they're relating to, those three times removed people. It's like me, third removed, is relating to you, third removed. It's like that movie, um, Surrogates, (laughs) with Bruce Willis. I don't know if you ever saw that, but basically it's the future where these um, human-looking machines walk around and everyone's at home controlling the machines. So these machines are living our lives, but we can see through their eyes, we can experience the world um, just like we were out there, uh, but they look like humans and they act like humans because we're controlling every part of their movement. It's just like a literal virtual reality, except everyone's home, <laughs> connected to a machine that's connected to a machine that's in the world. They're like two or three times removed from actuality, from the sensory experience of living in the world authentically. And when you do that, you are presenting your third removed self to other third removed selves. And this gets way too philosophical and deep. (laughs) So I'm going to come back to reality here and uh, say that this is what happens in a relationship. When you're non-confrontational or you're not telling the whole truth, you are somewhat presenting an inauthentic you. When you have something on your mind and you don't share it, what are you sharing instead? And what you share, they now have to react to. 
and they also react to what you don't share. So it gets tricky when that happens. This is that silent treatment thing. It's like, what do I do with that? Because you're not sharing who you really are. That's just, it's hurtful. It dissolves, dissolves, dissolves a relationship. And it's obviously not good to develop strength and bonding. So there's that thing. I, I see that as a yellow flag. Being non-confrontational is a yellow flag in any, any relationship. I'm not saying it's terrible and there are times to do it, but don't make it your life pattern. If you make something like that your life pattern, you'll rarely get what you want. People won't see the real you. They won't know the real you. They won't know what you want, what you need. And then you'll wonder why the world is against you. Why does everything bad happen to me? It's because you are choosing not to be or express your authenticity or authentic self. So there's that. And that's a deep, deep conversation that maybe I'll talk about some other time. So let's get to the next point, which is something you said, but um, here it is. You said that you're going to commit to your vacation anyway, even if he doesn't go. I just want to say good for you. That's self-congruence. That's you saying, you know what? I made this plan and I'm going to go anyway. You didn't cancel your plan based on what someone else did or didn't do. Great. The more congruence you show inside of you, the better your life turns out, believe it or not. And all I mean is that when you have an intention and you follow it up with action based on that intention, like, I'm going to go on vacation. And then the next week, you actually go on vacation. It's like you're reinforcing trust in yourself. That's good. That's healthy. I love it. So I want to point that out. Um, something else you said. I felt that he was upset about things, but he chose not to talk about them. And he would take his aggression out in other ways. Now, when you say, I felt or I feel that he was upset about something, it's not an I know statement. You know what I'm saying? It's like guessing. I feel that he's upset about something because you're accessing your own emotions or feelings. But do you actually know that he's upset? This is one of those I need to ask in a direct way. Are you upset about something? Now, he may be passive aggressive or he may say something like, no. <laughs> but what can you go on? I mean, you're picking up that he's upset, so those feelings come in. But unless you know, you don't know. So another thing that you said that I want to hit on is, uh, even though my mom and I lived in the same household, we hardly ever spoke. I learned not to share any of my experiences with her, good and bad, because they always seem to backfire. So I learned to shut down. Now this is a coping mechanism that you developed probably as a kid. And I'm going to call it a coping mechanism. It may or may not be. But this is probably how you cope with things. You cope with the hurt of not receiving reciprocal emotional support or love or nurturing or something like that. So you stopped sharing. I've had clients tell me that you know I would share something with my mom... And just like you said, she turned it around or she made it about her or she would somehow put me down. So I stopped sharing. So this can be a challenge when you shut down. I mean, you said that nothing I've ever done has been good enough. And even when I have accomplishments, she turns things around and ruins those moments. Well, as children, we want to be congratulated. We want to be supported. We want to be nurtured by our parents or our caretakers. So we want to hear 
this like, good job. <laughs> well, you want to hear that kind of stuff. But when we don't, we think that the whole world doesn't like us or the whole world doesn't want to hear our accomplishments. So we take that into ourselves and bring that into our adult world and suddenly we're reserved and we're, we're afraid to share ourselves with other, with other people because sharing means pain. Because if I open up to you, just like my mom, you'll turn it around and hurt me. This is one of those leaps of faith because you don't want to repress this stuff. You don't want to repress yourself from anyone. You want to feel safe enough to share yourself. But if you can't, then the long, painful process of repressing who you really are takes place. It takes precedent. And let me tell you, um, when I was in my first or several relationships, but definitely my first long-term relationship, she never got to know the real me. She never got to know what I was feeling ever, <laughs> or at least the negative stuff that I felt, my anger, my sadness, anything. She only saw the side of her that I presented to her because I was too scared to share with her my authentic self. Because if I shared with her something she didn't like, maybe she'll leave me. It always, it always came down to the fear of what might happen to me. I was in that place of, I don't want to be completely honest with her because I was also a non-confrontational person. I hated confrontation. But the reason I hated confrontation is because if I confronted somebody with something, then that might mean they would hurt me in some way. But the hurt came anyway. It, it was just prolonged and extended and eventually wore me out and got me depressed. It just got worse and worse and worse over time. It's that long, slow cutting and wounding and hurting, cutting into your deep emotions and hurting, and it just wears you down. It's not worth it. It's worth taking that proverbial slap in the face right away uh, and just getting it over with. Because I'd rather get it over with to have something to work with than to go through an inauthentic process of um, communication. And I'll tell you what, the older you get, the less time you'll want to deal with people like that. The less time you'll want to play those head games. It's almost like I'd rather get it over with. Like, I'm in my 40s now. I would rather get it over with and just confront <laughs> the things I used to be afraid of confronting. And since I started doing that about 11 years ago and being more authentic, being more honest... My life has improved dramatically. And, and I'm not talking about in every area. <laughs> I'm talking about in communication, in relationships. The way I relate to people has increased dramatically. And even today, I still learn new things. But you know what? I would not be in a place today to learn even more than I know had I not taken those initial leaps of faith 11 years ago and just started being more authentic, started expressing myself and expressing my truths so i'm going to leave it there with part one of your letter and um get into part two when we come back i'm going to keep it short because we are pretty much close to the end of the episode so stick around i'll be right back in a minute
All right, what do I want to talk about here? How about the TOB Patron Program? What is that? That's a place that has private episodes of the overwhelmed brain, worksheets and group coaching and uh, things I don't share here on the regular show. Like, for example, the incident at the pool <laughs> last week uh, where I had to stop a couple guys from fighting. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been involved with something like that, but it is definitely an interesting experience. <laughs> but it was one of those moments that I talk about where you have to make the decision in the moment and not think about what might happen if you think too far ahead. Because if you think too far ahead, then the fear kicks in. So I had to stand up and make the decision before the fear kicked in. And it wasn't easy, but at the same time it was because I chose not to think too far ahead. So it was pretty interesting. I told the whole story in the patron program and what I learned from it. And if you've heard it, then maybe it'll give you an idea of what um, you can do if you're ever in that situation. Because there are things that you can do if you're in that type of situation. Somebody's about to fight. What do you do? How do you approach it? What do you say? And I kind of learned on the fly. <laughs> but I had some tools and resources to draw from, so that was helpful too. But I encourage you to visit patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and uh, consider joining the program. In fact, if you go over there now, there is one private episode that I decided to keep free. So if you go to that site, you'll see that there's actually an episode that you can play. And that gives you a taste of what there is there and what the site has to offer. And maybe it's for you. So visit patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and I hope to see you there and check out what more TOB has to offer you. I hope to connect with you on the inside. All right, welcome back to Ask Paul, uh, part two. <laughs> it was a long letter that I received, so I'm going to read you some of the second part and just get to it uh, pretty quick. Um, she wrote, this is the same person, Sheila, about a resentment uh, towards her mom and how her mom, she found out, was a narcissist. She says, uh, I've been good at suppressing my emotions for so long that I normally just tend to leave things how they are and move on. I let the anger remind me of why I shouldn't contact people who have hurt me. Realizing how these triggers have molded me and how much they have affected me, especially now that I'm stepping into a new decade of my life, really has me feeling somewhat depressed. I feel guilt. I'm in denial. I'm questioning myself. I'm asking if maybe it's me that I'm the only one with the problem. And lately I've noticed I've started to lose interest in a lot of things. I can't seem to find the motivation to go out. Not even on a hike, which is one of the things I've always loved to do. I don't want to be around people I don't know. It makes me feel uncomfortable, and I don't like people in my personal space. I feel stuck. I have the tools that I need. I figured out the main root of my issue, which um, I didn't read to you. It was uh, her narcissistic mom and how her relationship with her really affected uh, her behavior. However, I don't know what to do with all my tools and information or how to apply it. Recently, I sought therapy, and I'll be seeing a therapist, uh, especially one who works with children of narcissistic parents, and I hope this helps. But like I said, I have all the tools, books, and journals, which I can't even open, and I'm resisting, and I don't know why. But what I do know is that I want to get better for myself and one day my future family. I'm determined to break the cycle and turn the page. I just don't know where to begin. Okay, Sheila, thank you for part two, and that was heavily, heavily condensed. 
Uh, you wrote quite a bit, and I had to uh, make it very short and look for the specific things that I could uh, help you with or give you some insights. So what I'm going to address here is mainly one thing, and that is my perception of depression. My perception of depression is when you suppress your thoughts, you repress the emotions about those thoughts, which leads to depression. The more you suppress your thoughts and repress your emotions, the more numb you feel after a while. So what is the cure for depression? <laughs> I don't have the cure. I'm going to tell you how I got out of it, and I'm going to tell you what I have always advised. What I always advised is you do the opposite of what you think you should do. In other words, if you think that you should hold back information because you don't want to upset someone, where, where do we go with it? You be more direct and you tell them exactly what's on your mind. Yes, I'm repeating something I said earlier, that common sense stuff. Be direct, be upfront, be authentic. And not authentic in a way of, I'm depressed. Authentic in a way of, what am I angry about right now? Or what have I been angry about that I've been repressing for so long? See, the problem with depression is that you tend to forget how you got there. So what I want you to do is remember what it was like to have some of the negative emotions coming in and what you did with those emotions. Remember what it was like when you had those negative thoughts and how you expressed or not expressed those thoughts. Think about the people in your life that you held back saying things to, that you held back and repressed inside of you. Because depression is the opposite of expression. I mean, according to me. <laughs> Depression according to Paul. This is not a clinical talk. Depression according to me, because I've been there, I've, I've experienced it, and I've helped others, is you start expressing things that you've always wanted to express or are on your mind. The hardest part is when you're depressed, you don't feel like you have anything to express. You don't feel like there's any negative emotions in you. I mean, this is, you know, for the most part. If you're experiencing depression, it usually feels more numb. And then you really don't care <laughs> or you're more apathetic about your own stuff, but think about when you did care or think about when you were angry or sad or afraid and remember that. It, it's not that you're going to remember the emotions. It's remembering what you really wanted to say or do at the time. For the longest time, I wanted to say things to my stepfather that I never did. And I didn't because he was a violent, aggressive alcoholic and I was afraid of him. So I never said the things I wanted to say. I never did what I wanted to do around him. I would suppress me. I would repress my emotions. If I got angry with him, of course I'm not going to show him my anger. Because if I showed him my anger, he might show me his. So I repressed that. Now I held on to that. I didn't even know I was repressing this, by the way. I just went through life learning to repress anything negative so I didn't upset the people in my life. People pleaser. You know the drill, right? <laughs> so it wasn't until 35 when uh, the person who would become my wife um, said that she was going to leave me because she wasn't used to being with someone who was so depressed or so down all the time. And that was enough to trigger something in me to connect with a deep emotional part of me 
and uncover or reveal all this hatred I had and all this anger I had just turned into tears. And for the first time ever, I expressed my hatred toward my stepfather. And then I got over it. And I no longer held on to that. And I felt better. I felt better. I felt better expressing something that I had never either gotten a chance or felt safe to express or didn't even know that was in there. I didn't know I held hatred or anger. I didn't even want to know that I was capable of that. But I was definitely capable of that. So how do you know what you're hanging on to? What emotion do you show the least? Now I'm talking about negative emotions. What, em- what negative emotions in your life have you shown the least? If it's anger, you're probably holding on to a lot of it. If it's hatred, you know, which is probably a part of anger, you're probably holding on to a lot of it. It's, if it's sadness, you're probably holding on to a lot of it. So how do you access that? Well, think about when you were younger. What made you sad? Who did you hate? Even if you think about it now and you go, I couldn't have hated that person. I never hated anyone. That's not right. Well, think about it. Who did you hate? Yeah, I'm just throwing that in your face now. (laughs) Who did you hate? Who did you want to hurt? That's not me. I don't want to hurt anyone. Well, so what? None of us really want to hurt anyone, do we? Well, maybe (laughs) some people, but think about it. Who did you want to hurt back then? It's not that you're going to hurt them. I mean, this is your brain. This is your mind. This is things that you were experiencing as a kid and you didn't know any better. Or when you were older, I mean, maybe you weren't a kid, but typically this is kind of stuff that happens when we were a kid. Who did you want to hurt? And to the letter writer, Sheila, did you want to hurt your mom for being who she was? Did you want to hurt her? Did you want to do something worse? When you think about it now, does it, does she anger you? These aren't unhealthy thoughts, by the way. It's only unhealthy when you resist what's in there. It's only unhealthy if you refuse to think in a way that helps you process and release this stuff. Because I tell you what, after I broke down and and cried and conveyed my hatred for my stepfather, I loved him in a whole new way. I was able to let it go and just see him differently. It was completely different. All the hatred is gone because I experienced it, because I stopped repressing it, because it came out. I know this isn't easy because it may not um, come out for you. You may not even know it's in there, which is why you might have to explore a little bit. And again, this is not medical advice. If you have clinical depression, then see a professional. Like you said, you're seeking therapy. This is not a replacement for therapy. This is uh, in addition to. And it's only my opinion because I don't want you taking this and going, you made things worse. (laughs) All I want you to do is try it. Try it on. What made you sad? What made you angry? And if you can't even think of that, then think about what it could have been. I mean, sometimes we have no clue what in our past, what made us sad or angry or hateful or whatever, if if you have those feelings. What could it have been? Who could it have been? Who could have done this to me? Why would I have felt that way? What happened? And see what comes up. And you may even want to try this. Just recite the words, I hate so-and-so. I know I'm using hate a lot. But I use that because 
a lot of the times we're told to feel one way when we feel another. There's invalidation that goes on. And it's not intentional invalidation. It's not like our caretakers, when we were growing up, were intentionally trying to be unhelpful or bad. They just thought, oh, we should be nice to everyone. We should be nice to each other. Now, maybe, Sheila, your mom wasn't that way, because narcissism is, a, is definitely something that can cause a lot of problems, cause a lot of dysfunction in the family. And you grew up in a way where you had certain feelings that you probably didn't feel safe expressing. So now that you're not around her, you can express those things. And I know this is all talk. I know that this may help or it may not. But what I'm doing for you right now is giving you permission to feel any way you want to feel, even if it is immoral, even if it's unethical, even if it's, quote, bad. Because you probably have held back from feeling those things or expressing those things. You probably want to say things to your mom or anyone else that has caused you harm in some way, intentionally or not. When you have something inside of you that needs to get out, but you don't let it out, it depresses you. It causes you to feel bad. It causes you to feel numb. And it is not a pleasant place. And it's a place that once you get out of it, you never want to go back because you remember that and you don't like it. So Sheila, you say, I feel guilt and I'm in denial and I'm telling myself it's maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the one with the problem. Well, guilt is a great thing. I'm telling you, guilt is a great thing. Not always, but in your place. If you feel depression and you feel guilt, then guess what? You're not completely depressed. There's hope. <laughs> well, there's always hope, even when you're completely depressed. But if you feel anything, I, wanna, I want you to latch on to that for a little bit. Latch on to that guilt. What do I feel guilty about? I feel guilty for not talking to my mom anymore. Well, great. You know, the resolution to that is to call your mom on your terms. Talk to her on your terms. I mean, if you really feel guilty, why? Because I don't want to leave her alone. I don't want her to think that she's unloved. Well, do you love her? Maybe there's a part of you that really does love her. I mean, that's what happens. We grow up with somebody and we're with them for so long that a part of us really does love them. Even when they're mean and nasty and abusive, we just have this connection with them. So what can we do about it? We can say, I love you and you're toxic for me. You can just have this mindset. I love you and you're toxic. There's nothing wrong with that. I can look at my stepfather and go, I love you and I never want to see you again. I love you and you're toxic for me. I love you and you're toxic for my family. I love you and I don't care what happens to you. <laughs> because we don't want to deny what's inside of us. Guilt is a way of reminding you what's inside of you that you may be denying. And I'm, I'm just assuming that your guilt is about your mom in a way that you don't communicate with her anymore. So what do you do? You make things on your terms. You call her at the time you want to call her and you talk to her and be direct, be your authentic self. And when she says something you don't like, you say, mom, I don't like that. You know what? I love you, but I can't respect you when you're, when you disrespect me. And then if she goes on and says, well, I'm not being, dis you're the one being disrespectful. Mom, you're continuing to do it. I love you and I want to have a conversation, but I'm going to hang up now. When you're ready to bond with me and connect with me, then I'll be happy to talk with you. 
but maybe you're not capable. I don't know. I just want to believe that you are. So I'm here when you're ready to talk again. And then she may go, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> she may not like it. But that, now you hang up on your terms. And if she calls back, you choose to answer or not, but they're always on your terms. If she truly is narcissistic, then you need to take control, really. The narcissist always has control in your life. They're always controlling. So what you need to do is take control because that'll be healthier for you. You take control. You call when you want and then you love them and let them know your personal boundaries and let them know when they're disrespecting you. And if they're disrespecting you, you create accountability. Mom, the way you're acting right now is disrespectful, so I'm going to hang up. If you want to talk respectfully and civilly, I would love to have that because I do love you. I really do. But I can't talk to you when you're being disrespectful. And she may not like that, but you are controlling the boundaries. You are honoring yourself and you're also doing it with love and kindness. So if you want to get rid of this guilt, love her in a way that's healthy for you. Period. That's my advice. <laughs> I'm going to end this show. I hope this helps. I know you're having some struggles here, but uh, I want you to start expressing uh, some of this old pain that might be in there that you probably don't feel right now, or if you do, then express it to someone that you feel safe with. Maybe the therapist that you're seeing, great. Write it down in a letter, or you know, some people will call the person that they're upset with and say, you know what? You've upset me, and this is what you've done. That doesn't always work because the person who's upset you, they may not take responsibility for it and they may actually try to make you feel worse or make you think it's your fault. It's not your fault. You were a kid. <laughs> How can that be your fault? You had no clue what was going on. You just learned from the adults that uh, were role models to you. And guess what? Who you are was because of the role modeling that your mom did. So whose fault is it? I'm not going to really say it's her fault. No, of course not. <laughs> no, but now that you're an adult, you can start doing things for you. You don't have to act like that fearful, submissive child as you once were and start honoring yourself. No, you're disrespecting me. If you stop disrespecting me, that would be great. Then we can continue talking. However, you know, I love you. Maybe we can talk again when you're not in this mood. Goodbye. You control it. There you go. I hope that helps. Thank you again for writing, Sheila. And thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. We'll be right back. I'll thank some people, give you my final thoughts, and then we'll make it a day. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Casper. Go to casper.com forward slash brain and use the promo code brain and get $50 off an incredibly awesome mattress. <laughs> and I would love to see you in the TOB patron program. Private episodes, workbooks and worksheets and group coaching and more all starting at $3 a month. Are you a TOB patron yet? If not, you're probably missing some of the best stuff. And if you're not a patron, then go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. 
And whether you're a patron or not, I want to thank you if you've purchased one of my books or worksheets or even use the Amazon link on the website. If you go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, there's an Amazon link over on the right and you can drag it to your desktop. You can use it on your phone or tablet. And every time you shop for something, use that link and it supports the show. If you feel that I've supported you in some way or helped you out in some way, every time you buy from them using that link, Amazon sends us a small part of that sale and it helps with all the operating costs of the overwhelmed brain. So thank you if you're doing that. And finally, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. So you might be asking, how can I do this direct communication thing that you're talking about? How can I be direct? If I'm direct, someone might yell at me, someone might hurt me, someone might leave me. And I've told this before, but it really is a leap of faith. And what you ask yourself is, what is the right thing to do here? What is the right thing to do in this moment? That's what I ask myself is like when I was at our pool one night and two guys were about to fight. I asked myself, what's the right thing to do in this moment? So I decided to get involved. <laughs> and I stopped the fight, and it worked out, and it was great. There was some tension afterward, but I asked myself, what's the right thing to do? I didn't think ahead to the fear. I, I say this over and over again, but I'm repeating it for a reason. Because when you think ahead to what might happen, the fear kicks in. And I want to convey this over and over again on this show because this is what stops us from creating the life we want. This is what stops you from getting what, getting your needs met, getting what you deserve to have in your life. I'm telling you, there's nothing worse than stagnation. There's nothing worse than being in a rut. You know what being in a rut is? It's not having enough information to take steps and get forward momentum. That's what being in a rut is to me, or at least an emotional rut. You're in an emotional rut when you don't have enough information, so you need to find out what the information is. A good example of that is when you are with someone who's giving you the silent treatment. I mean, that's not fun. You're getting the silent treatment, so you don't have enough information. So what do you have to do? You might have to dig for it. What's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> well, I know that's not true because you're giving me the silent treatment. Well, I just have stuff to process. Well, what is it? Share it with me. I don't want to share it. Or nothing's wrong, really. I'm just working on stuff. Well, do you want time to yourself? Yes, I just want time to myself. Well, then tell me that. <laughs> Give me something to work with. Don't just be silent. So if you're mad, you know, let's just say that you get mad and you give someone the silent treatment. You know what? I'm mad right now and I'm not going to talk to you for an hour or two. Tell them that. I'm, I'm mad right now and I don't want to talk. They may want you to talk. They may say, come on, tell me what's going on. Come on. And you're like, I need you to honor my wishes right now and let me be. Now, if they continue harassing you, that's what it is. It's harassment. So they need to honor your wishes. But you have to be upfront and direct with what you want. Otherwise, they won't be able to honor it or at least have a chance to honor it. If they're not honoring it, that's a different story altogether and maybe something needs to be done about that. Accountability comes to mind. <laughs> so when you or your partner or anyone else in your life gives you the silent treatment, it's okay if it happens every once in a while. I mean, of course, we all have to have time to ourselves, but if it's happening over and over again and that emotional withdrawal is going on, 
it can be very, very damaging to a relationship. So the idea is to be more direct, more expressive, be more authentic, and say things that you know may not be taken well. Say things so that the other person has something to work with. And hopefully if they're giving you the silent treatment, they'll give you something to work with. You need something solid so that you can take steps into your power. And you do that by keeping an open mind and being firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.